Stand with me, please. I'm going to be in Luke's gospel. We've got two weeks in Luke here around Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter, finishing the two weeks that uh, we cut off uh, when we finished the gospel of Luke. This is Luke 24, 13. 24, 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor in Jer to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our community amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him... They did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All righty, church, think about, visualize, picture these two followers of Jesus Sunday afternoon walking the seven-mile distance between Jerusalem, we don't know exactly where Emmaus is, probably west, very, very hilly. Anywhere around Jerusalem is going to be very hilly. Uh, what are they feeling as they're walking? How are they doing as they're walking? Well, they are intensely disappointed because two days before, they're Savior, all their hopes were in Jesus, and Jesus is brutally murdered, nailed to a Roman cross. And all of their dreams in life of how things were going to turn out are shattered and undone. They are hurting. They feel great disillusionment. I mean, how are they going to, you know, pick up from this? They feel incredible suffering and pain. Now, just before I start this, and, and we see how Jesus is going to minister to them and help them in their disappointment, I want us just to remember our times of disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, because it's just part of life, isn't it? I mean, life for us does not turn out the way we thought it would uh, in so many particulars. Maybe we've been single for so long and we begin dating someone and we just love for it to work out and, and it just doesn't and our hearts are crushed. 
or maybe, you know, even more so, you, you get married and all your dreams, you know, are there and, and, and it just doesn't turn out the way you want to and, and it's not the, 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 what you had dreamed marriage to be. Maybe you've got a teenager who, who has got some friends uh, who are such a bad influence and it's just so scary to you. Uh, of course, in the economy that we're in now, maybe your co- company is downsizing and you've lost your job and you don't know where in the world you're going to get a job. Um, maybe you're like Bill, Lloyd, and you go to the doctor and you hear what he heard. Uh, you have a tumor on your pancreas. Um, life is hard at times. And, and how does Jesus deal with our souls in these tough times of life? Let's, let's just find out right, right here. Okay, uh, the, the first two verses. This is what we read. That, that very day, two of them, two of his followers, we don't know, uh, well, we know one of them, Cleopas. We don't know the other one. We don't really know who Cleopas was. But two of his followers, they're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. All what things that had happened? Well, beginning the previous week on a Sunday morning, when Jesus had appeared in the town and everybody who saw him, you know, the word spread. There's a big buzz about, you know, Jesus is in town. You know, this wonder-working, incredible man that many of them felt was the Messiah. And, and, and the crowds come out, and they're waving these palm branches and, uh, you know, celebrating that Jesus is here. And uh, he, he, he rides this donkey down that steep incline from uh, the top of the Mount of Olives. And, and then he's doing miracles that week, and he's teaching daily in the temple but then, an abrupt change happens Thursday night. Jesus is at the bottom of that Mount of Olives, that steep incline at Gethsemane with his followers and the religious leaders, Roman soldiers, under the cover of darkness, come and grab him and arrest him. And they just sweep him in immediately to trials all throughout the night. And by the next morning, they are murdering him uh, crucifying him on a Roman cross at 9 o'clock. And it happens so suddenly. And, and, and their whole world is turned upside down. And he dies. <sighs> They're completely undone. So, what things? Everything that had happened that previous week about Jesus. And so, um, while they are talking, in verse 15, while they are talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, we're talking, this is Sunday afternoon, you know, the day he rose. And, and there's been a little buzz about, man, man, where is he? Because the tomb was empty. But, but they ha- haven't had these concrete sightings yet. So, um, and they're going to get to this, but, but, but they're still just completely crushed and devastated. Uh, undone. And Jesus starts walking with them. And the next verse says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And it's interesting why God veils their eyes for a little bit here. Later on, he's going to unveil them. But how did this happen? Okay, they're walking along. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, whose body can do different things now, we can see, because he walks through a wall, you can see. So maybe he just kind of swoops in there and he appears close by and he catches up with them. And begins walking with them, and they don't recognize him. And they're probably looking down, and just, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed with grief. And you know how it is when you're overwhelmed with grief. You're, you're, you're not, you're focused on yourself. And, 
And so they're, they're looking down, and, and he said to them, well, what's this you're talking about? What's this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And that stops them in their tracks. They're walking along slowly and so troubled. And then it says, and they stood still looking sad. It's all over their faces. They're, they're distraught. They're, they're devastated. And it just stops them in their tracks, and they look at him, and they can't believe he'd asked that question. What are y'all talking about? I mean, don't you know? And they say in, in verse 18, then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? You know, they're a little bit rude about it. You know, where you been? You don't know this? How do you feel when somebody says, don't, don't you know this? Uh, don't you know about Jesus? You know, it's, it's so funny. They're talking to Jesus. Don't, don't you know about Jesus? And, and all this happened to him? And, um, and Jesus is a little bit playful with him, it seems to me like. You know, he could, you know, respond, yeah, it's me. Guys, here I am. It's me, Jesus. He doesn't. Not yet. He, uh, uh, maybe he slightly smiles. I don't know, but he says, what things? What things? What's happened to Jesus? Tell me about it. You know, it's interesting he answers that way. You know, Jesus is, is like the Father and the Spirit. You know, they can be so unpredictable and, and just don't fit our little boxes. And, you know, that would be a great time for him just to, you know, it's me. It's me. Um, that, does he want to draw them out? He, he's forever asking questions of people during the Gospels to draw people out. You know, that's what listeners do. Jesus was a master listener. And if you want to be a listener, which, by the way, is probably the most powerful expression of love that we can do. If you want to be a listener, it's not keeping your mouth shut. That's part of it. But it's not staring with a blank face. It's drawing the person out with the right questions. And Jesus, maybe they need to unburden their soul, but he draws them out. What things? Tell me about it. Tell me all that's on your heart. And they begin talking. And by, by the way, um, we're going to begin to see how God deals with us in our pain, in our tough times of life, which many of us are in right now. And those of us who are not in right now, you know, next month we might, we might well be in. But it's just part of life. And, and first of all, Jesus comes to them. Uh, well, why does he come to those two and not others? I mean, later he will come to others, but, you know, the, I don't know. He, he, they matter to him. Uh, the thing about it for us is that he, he's made some promises like this. If you have received him as your Savior, he's made these kind of promises. I will never, ever leave you. I'm going to be with you forever. I'll never leave you. So he is always going to be with us. <laughs> Whatever you're going through, I'm right there. <laughs> and you can unburden your soul to him, and he will listen. He will forever listen. He cares. He cares. And that's part of how he deals with us in our tough time. He, he, he's the listener. By the way, let's just pause a second and, and think about, uh, you, you, you know somebody else who's going through a really tough time? You know, one of the most loving things you can do is just listen. Listen. And, and remember, that that's not a blank stare. That's drawing them out. And, and, uh, but, but let them unburden their soul. And, and don't reject them. And by the way, if you're in the middle of that tough time, one of the most important things you can do is unburden your soul. First of all, to God, as Colin Bates talked about earlier, pour out your soul to the Lord. 
the Psalms, but also to people, people with skin on, friends, uh, your small group. Uh, we, we have a freedom prayer ministry, healing prayer ministry here. We have late counseling. We can refer you to professional counselors, but to the people that you trust, you know, our, our tendency, particularly some of us men, is to kind of withdraw and, you know, take care of this ourselves, but, but God has made us uh, to be relational, and uh, we, we, we need to do that. So Jesus draws them out, you know, what things, and, and, and they begin telling him. And so in verse 19, uh, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, and they begin telling Jesus who Jesus is. It's concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And you know, they got pain on their voices and on their faces. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You know, all our hopes were in him. The, the hope of centuries to, to throw off the Roman yoke and the yoke of the foreign power. All our hopes had been in him. But, but, but they're so devastated because Friday morning he had been murdered and killed. And, uh, and they're completely bewildered. They don't understand. You know, if you do remember in the the video story with Bill Lloyd that uh, Allison at one point talked about, you know, we don't understand. We didn't understand. And, and that's the way suffering is always. We don't understand. You know, this isn't what we had planned. <laughs> you know, God, we, I love you, so, so why am I going through this? We don't understand. But, but, but what the Bible teaches is that we really, down deep, don't need understanding. We need trust. We need tr tr trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You, know, you, you need to trust me. Hear the voice of God in your pain. I'm right here. I got this. I got this. Hear that voice. Be still and know that I am God. So they're bewildered. They don't understand. How could this happen? They, they go on to explain more. Down in verse 21, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things had happened. So it's Sunday, probably Sunday afternoon. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. I mean, can you believe they, they said that? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not find. And Jesus listening to all of this. Now, at some point, uh, we need to encourage people to, you know, to kind of uh, about solutions. <laughs> and, and sometimes we need to challenge, and Jesus challenges them. He's listened for a while, listened to their story. They poured out their hearts, and now he points them back to the Scriptures, the Word of God. This is what he says. Verse 25, and he said, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones. He's not talking about their IQ. He's talking about their heart. Problem is not that you know they they they, they don't get this intellectually, but that they're not trusting God. He said, "Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." It, it just yeah, yeah, the the prophets have spoken in the word of God, and, and you and you you're so slow of heart to believe it. And friends, I, I hate to say this, but Jesus goes to the root problem here, and that's our root problem too. You and I, at times, particularly in tough times, we can be slow of heart to believe what God has said in His Word. 
Because the answers to life's problems are in the Bible. They're not just simple little answers, but the answers to life's problems are found in the Word of God, in the Bible. And he's just going to point them back there more and more, and, and really quite emphatically. So he, he's pointing them back to scriptures and, and their root problem. He goes to root problems. Unbelief in the word of God. What God has said in the Bible. And so we'll see how he does that and unpacks it. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now he just talked about, you're so slow to believe what the prophets have said. The prophets in the word of God. They talked about this coming Messiah, the Christ, needing to suffer these things. I mean, Isaiah, Psalms, the whole sacrificial system, the, the Exodus 12 passage we saw a couple of weeks ago, the passage, all of that points to a Savior who would suffer and die for our sin. And, and he said, wasn't it necessary? I mean, wasn't that essential part of the plan? You're shocked and just shocked that uh, the, the, the Messiah has died when all the prophecies said he would? In fact, Jesus himself has been telling his followers about it. Was it not necessary that he would suffer these things? Because if Jesus didn't die on a cross for our sins, we'd still be in our sin. You know, if Jesus had have overthrown the Romans and, you know, just kind of went on living and things were great, uh, you would have a bigger problem because you would be in your sin. Wasn't it necessary? And then get this. Verse 27 is something. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, wouldn't you like to have heard that? I mean, that would be a sermon to hear. Um, probably lasted a couple of hours, but boy, can you imagine Jesus taking you from Genesis through uh, the rest of the Old Testament, interpreting, telling you all the things in the Old Testament concerning himself. I mean, he didn't have those big scrolls uh, just right with him. You know, it had been a, been a bunch of big scrolls, but he knew this book. He knew the Word of God, and he could teach it. He could teach it. He could, he could tell them the truth. He probably had much of it memorized. And he began telling them, beginning with Moses. Remember, Moses writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books. So beginning with Genesis, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explains the Scriptures and what they say about him, about him. Do you know, church, that the key to understanding the Bible not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, is to look for Jesus. He is the theme of the Scriptures from start to end. And the anecdote for us in our suffering is to go to the Scriptures and see God. Go to the Scriptures and see Jesus and believe Him. Believe the promises of the Word of God. What did He say? Boy, it had been interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, did, did He start with Genesis 3? Maybe He started with Genesis 1, but, but at least Genesis 3. You know, when, when he explains how Adam and Eve, you know, trying to work themselves, it's a picture of human works, trying to cover their nakedness and their guilt and their shame with their sin, with these fig tree clothing. You know, that won't work. What does God do? He, he apparently sacrifices an animal, covers them with skins, beginning to teach them that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Beginning to teach them that an innocent victim can be killed and be a substitute for us beginning to teach them. And, and, and surely he got to Genesis 22 when 
Abraham sacrifices his son Isaac, his only son. And God stops him, holds the knife, puts a lamb as a substitute, and he sacrifices him. And surely he talks about, that's a picture of me, of God's son, except God did not hold back the knife. I was that lamb. Maybe he talked about Exodus 12, our passage in a couple of weeks ago, how at every one of those houses, they killed a lamb, and they spread the blood out, and they were covered by the blood of, blood of that lamb, and how that was a picture of Jesus, how his blood, the blood of the lamb of God can cover our sins. And then he, he, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, every single animal that was ever sacrificed was a pointer to one day the lamb of God would step out of heaven and come to earth and die for our sins, and he could really pay for our sins. But then he probably went through the Psalms a lot. I mean, Psalm 16, uh, allusion, alluding to the resurrection of Jesus. Psalm 22, this incredible picture, detailed picture of crucifixion, a thousand years before crucifixion had ever been practiced on the planet. I mean, it's something. Or Psalms like uh, Psalm 110 about the reign of this coming Messiah. And, and, and by the way, the whole Psalms, and that's the prayer book of Jesus. See Jesus in the Psalms. Are, but then he got to Isaiah. And Isaiah, you know, had so much. In fact, Isaiah has so much about Jesus, the suffering servant, that Isaiah at times is called the fifth gospel. It's the fifth gospel. And Isaiah 53, well, that could be like a chapter in the New Testament. Because it deals with the cross of Jesus and the atonement for our sin and how he dies in our place. And don't you just, can you imagine? He just goes through the Old Testament showing all the uh, references, how it's all about him. But, but why is he taking him to, because the scriptures have the answers to life's problems. And we need to meet God in the pages of scripture. Now, this book is not a book of abstract theology. It's not. This is the living word of God, and he speaks to us deep in our hearts, spirit to spirit. And this book is crucial to when we go through the tough times. Um, I, most of my Christian life, I have appreciated the writings of a man named John White. Not real well known. John White was a medical doctor from England. He became a missionary in South America, and later he became a pastor in Canada, uh, British Columbia, died maybe 10 years ago, wrote a number of books that are so good. And uh, at a, uh, one of his books, he, he talks about his tough times. A and this is what he says. He says, in the darkest periods of my life, when everything seemed hopeless. Some of you been there? I have. When everything seemed hopeless, I would struggle in the gray dawns of many faraway countries to grasp the basic truths of Scripture passages. I looked for no immediate answers to my problems. Only did I sense intuitively that I was drinking drafts from a fountain that gave life to my soul. And when I first read that, I thought, that's it. He gets it. No immediate answers to my problems. Uh, you're probably not going to find your next job in the passage there. Only that I was drinking uh, drafts from a fountain that gave life to my soul. Something deeper than jobs. He goes on. He says, slowly as I grappled with textual and theological problems, a strength grew deep within me. 
foundations cemented themselves to an otherworldly rock beyond the reach of time and space, and I became strong and more alive. If I could write poetry about it, I would. If I could sing through paper, I would flood your soul with the glorious melodies that express what I've found. I cannot exaggerate, for there are no expressions majestic enough to tell of the glory I have seen or the wonder of finding that I, a neurotic, unstable, middle-aged man, and I so loved reading that because that was me. That is me. A neurotic, unstable, middle-aged man. Uh, old age now. Um, that I have my feet firmly planted in eternity and I breathe the air of heaven. All this has come to me through a careful study of Scripture. Church, the, this, these followers of Jesus, overwhelmed with disillusionment, distraught with disappointment, Jesus takes them to the Word of God, which has the strength, the answers, the life that gives life to our soul. And friends, if you want the kind of strength that Jesus is pointing us to, if you want the kind of strength that John White is talking about, if you want the kind of strength that I have experienced in my life during the darkest periods of my life, there is no other solution except God's holy word. And, and it's not the sort of case, well, when you get to the emergency, you know, go grab that dusty Bible off the shelf. It's not like that at all. It's rather that Every day you meet God in the pages of his holy word and you drink uh, drafts from a fountain that give life to your soul. Every day you meet with God and this otherworldly strength goes within you and, and you have your feet firmly planted on a rock. It, the scriptures have the answers to life's problems. There is a strength as God speaks to us and meets us. So verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And he goes through it. So what happens? They arrive at their place. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening. And the day is now far spent. They don't want him to leave. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave, gave it to them. You know, thinking of almost like communion. But he breaks the bread, gives thanks. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Can you imagine when their eyes were opened? They've been telling him about Jesus. How can you see their jaws? They all just dropped open, aren't they? You know, just, you know, they just dropped open. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. It's like that. Point made, Jesus is alive. He is not dead. See ya. I got to go on to meet some other people. And he takes off. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Our hearts burn within us. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. Can you imagine that? They just had walked that lonely, that long three, four hour uh, dusty uh, road. It's dark. They don't travel at night in Israel, but they got to get up right then, go back and tell others, Jesus is alive. It's all true. And that's what they do. 
And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they get to tell, Yes, we saw him too. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now, this is one of the resurrection stories, the detailed accounts uh, that eyewitnesses told about seeing the resurrected Lord. But isn't it so significant what Jesus does to these hurting, hurting disciples? He takes them to God's Word and points them to the life that they find there because there are answers. If they had known the Word and believed the Word, all that it said, they wouldn't have been surprised that Jesus died. They would have expected that. They wouldn't have been surprised that they would not have seen the body on Sunday morning. They would have expected that. Um, their root problem was unbelief in God's Word. And so often, that is our root problem too. Unbelief in God's Word. I wish there was a, you know, uh, an answer that um, would make us look better, but there's not. You know, it, it's so often, it is our unbelief in God's Word. So what do we see from this passage about our times of disappointment and discouragement? Well, first of all, before we get to the Word of God, know that Jesus will be right there with you, just like He was with them. In fact, He's promised, I'll never leave you. I'll be, look, I'm right there with you right now. You lost your job this week, I'm right there with you. I know all about that. Know that you can pour out your heart to Jesus because He's the master listener, the master lover. Unburden your soul. Know that. But also know that the Bible has the answers to life's problems. I think about Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all the Bible, the longest psalm, 176 verses. And every line of it, every verse of it, points to the Word of God in one way or the other. For example, just a few of those verses. Psalm 119, verse 18, says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Now, that's a, that's a prayer for us. Lord, you, get, you meet with God in the morning. Lord, open my eyes. Speak to me, Lord. I want to I hear your voice. I want to meet you. I want to see you. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things out of your word. Or 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You need light into this darkness. Your word I'm not saying simple little answers, but your word is a light to my feet and a lamp to my path. Or two verses later in 107, this one specifically, says, I am severely afflicted, severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. He knew, the psalmist knew that in his severe pain, that life was in the word of God. The spirit takes the word and breathes life to us. Or one more, 165, near the end. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing causes them to stumble. You need great peace? Oh, yeah. We need great peace. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing shakes them. Friends, we see this morning that the Bible has the answers that we need to life's problems. So, we treasure this book. We, we imbibe it. We drink it in. Not on occasion, not on Sunday mornings only, but, it, but every day. Because God is here and life is here. And if we want to be prepared for the storms of life, this is our solution. Now church, 
why would we not study and love and read and treasure this book? Why would we not? Why would we not every day of our life meet God in the pages and over about? Why, why would, if, if you're not doing this, this is what I'd recommend you do. Tomorrow morning, before you do anything else, open the Bible to, say, Matthew 1. Read a paragraph. Rather, pray a paragraph. Ask God to open your eyes. Or maybe a whole chapter. I'm not sure. Just wherever. Ask him to, to guide you. And, and, and meet with God in the Word. And then do that every other day for the rest of your life until you die. And you will be ready for the storms of life. And we need that. Do it. Stand with me. Friends, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that is your first step. It is to receive a Savior who died on a cross for you. You can do that right now. Just, Jesus, come and save me. I need a Savior. That is your biggest problem, your sin problem. You'll do it. Lord God, thank you for your holy word, which is alive and powerful. Lord, may we love it and treasure it and believe it and follow it with all our hearts. Lord, guide us to do that no matter what else happens in our life. Lord, thank you for this treasure. Thank you. Thank you that you care. Lord God, I know also there are just tons of challenges out there. I, I've, I must have heard of four or five people lately who last week or so have lost their parents, lost a parent. Uh, but all kinds of challenges, Lord God. Would you please pour out your grace into our hearts and help us to see Jesus. That's our prayer, Lord. That's our prayer. Church, we've got communion tables around the front and the sides. We're headed towards Easter. We're headed towards Good Friday. That's when these events happen. You know, on Friday morning, we'll mark the time. Uh, but, but right now and every week, we, we, we take the bread, we take the cup, we remember that Jesus paid it all, that at the cross, when the blood ran red, our sins washed white, and we take it with joy. Lord, well, no matter what the problems are, no matter if I lost my job, you are right here with me. Come and worship, church. Come and worship.